Hello and welcome to MLW Confusion. I'm your host, Rob Kemmer, bringing you all that you may or may not need to know about Major League Wrestling and its television programming. This week we are going to take a look at Underground 13, La Parka versus Sabu, number 3, The Rubber Match. But first, news. Not really. Uh... We're still just awaiting MLW's return coming up this month uh, with tapings. Uh, the roster seems to be hyped to go, and uh, Court Bauer is teasing some new signings and big returns, so I'm excited to see where this goes. But really, other than that, there isn't anything terribly new, uh, at least here, uh, here for us Yanks. Over in the United Kingdom area, they have a new deal to bring MLW Wrestling over there, so... Good on them. We're expanding worldwide. But anyway, let's move on to the things I you know, can talk about endlessly about, and that is actual wrestling. Again, we are taking a look at Underground 13. The show starts off with footage of the Extreme Horsemen attacking various legends and or PJ Friedman as well. Uh, most notably, Terry Funk, repeatedly, and Dusty Rhodes. From there we go into our intro, the dulcet tones of Power Man 5000, letting us know what happens when worlds collide. This gets followed by Joey Styles for all eternity, uh, recapping the MLW changing hands twice in one night, uh, technically last week per se in TV land, uh, when Satoshi Kojima, the world champ at the start of the evening, took on Mike Awesome. Kojima lost the title to Awesome in a hard-hitting matchup. And then right afterwards, Steve Carino shows up uh, talking about how he made a deal with Awesome that Awesome would defend the title against Carino anytime, anywhere, and he was calling his shot right then and there, forcing Awesome to wrestle a second match in as much, well, as much time. Um, but that didn't really make any sense. So making him wrestle his second match in the evening right after his grueling uh, title match with Kojima. Uh, of course, you know, Carino is kind of a dickbag, so he couldn't do this by himself, and eventually gets the win and the world title with help of his Extreme Horseman compatriots, Simon Diamond and C.W. Anderson. Anyway, we move on to our first match of the evening. Uh, Billy Fives, who I did absolutely no research on, um, so I have... Only half a clue of who he is. Um, I've heard the name before thanks to the PWI magazine. Uh, used to, well, when, I, when I'm on my game, I am an avid reader of at least the fi uh, 500 edition, uh, if I don't pay attention to the rest of Pro Wrestling Illustrated. Um, but Billy Fives is a name tossed out there occasionally. Um, but unfortunately, I did not do any further research leading into uh, me babbling on incoherently. So that's about as best as you're going to get. Uh, except that I did hear Joey Styles mention that he was a mainstay in the Florida area and becoming quite popular. But he gets to take on Christopher Daniels, who has Jerry Lynn with him, the evil effing show. Uh, so my guess is, hmm, lack of name value and Christopher Daniels may not end well for this young man. But what do I know? Stay tuned and we will find out. Pause, pause, fake commercial. We're back. That's right, I said all those things aloud, not editing them because I had no intentions of putting a fake commercial in there anyway. Anyway, the two tie up with Daniels pushing Fives into the corner, uh, which and then gives him a good old shove to the chest, just to let him know who's boss. 
Five, uh, fives, of course, is not to be disrespected such as that, and gives Daniels a big old bitch slap, uh, causing Daniels to powder out of the ring. Uh, he eventually does come back inside without much shenanigans, uh, and exchange holds as we go to commercial break. When we come back, both men are down on the ground after Fives hits a neckbreaker on Daniels. Uh, Fives evidently hit his comeback sequence buttons uh, and gets a brief advantage, but Daniels hits an STO and then the best moonsault ever for a two count to put Fives in his place, which I'm just going to assume is the bottom of the card just because no one has mentioned him on TV up until this match. Fives tries another comeback, uh, but it is not good. Uh, does get a couple moves in before being cut off again. Eventually, though, just as it looks good for Billy Fives, he is distracted by Jerry Lynn dancing around the ring apron, which allows Daniels hit the last rights rolling cutter for the victory. A uh, fairly solid match uh, for the two of them. Uh, I know I'm making a lot of jokes at Fives, and I apologize to anyone who's actually a fan of them. Um, and, you know knows who he is because I just failed to do my research. Maybe it'll be like a PJ Freeman thing and I will record this and then I'll go do my research and talk about how he's great and all the cool things he's did next week when it's too late. Um, but it was a solid match. Uh, at least the TV edit was quite short. So we really didn't get, uh, get to see a whole lot of what fives could do in the ring. Um, most of the things we got, uh, most of the what we saw was just like the beginning of the match, and then kind of the end. So we really didn't get. To, it wasn't a good, necessarily a good showcase for either guy in terms of getting them over, television wise, uh, but a solid match nonetheless. We go back to the control center where Joey Styles is putting over Paul London, who we haven't seen in quite some time. Uh, Paul London has challenged Jerry Lynn. For a two of three fall, uh, two of three match series, uh, for an MLW contract, this Young Lions challenge, if you will, uh, they put over at the next event, uh, Taboo. We will see uh, the first match in the series featuring Lynn and Mr. London. We will also get to see Los Maximos and the Samoan Island Party. Uh, those two teams have been feuding for quite some time. After it was revealed that the uh, Samoans had attacked. Los Maximos in the parking lot after a match. Uh, Styles gets something in his earpiece, and we cut away. And we cut away to a giant freaking uh, pickup truck limo. Uh, I mean, I'm as liberal as the next guy, but that just seems like a waste of space and gasoline. I mean, unless you're moving. I mean, if you're if you're moving, a limo truck actually looks totally amazing, and you can move all of your 5,000 beds in one, you know, trip if necessary. But unfortunately, I am not one of those people because you people don't subscribe to my Patreon or take part in my advertising deals. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. That wasn't terribly subtle at all. Anywho, we get to see the Extreme Horsemen arrive at the building with a bevy of young beauties uh, that have some logo on their clothing. I couldn't get in close enough to look at it, and I'm not that big of a pervert to, you know, freeze frame and get two feet for my television to look at to see what it said um, because it's probably something I never heard of or if I did hear of it I probably don't actually care about it anyway let's just you know be honest um, but really nothing uh, comes from that they just walk inside and it's like hey it's good to be a horseman and have the gold here's ladies 
Well, I'm going to go inside now. And we come back to Styles. Uh, he is promoting uh, Sandman's debut at Hybrid Hell. Uh, his debut is done in via Sandman fashion, you know, taking his sweet, sweet time, drinking some sweet, sweet brew, etc. But in the meanwhile, uh, it all starts out at Hybrid Hell after the Terry Funk Steve Carino no rope barbed wire match, uh, which Funk got the victory in. Um, after the match, uh, the Extreme Horsemen are beating up Terry Funk when he when he uh, gets quasi rescued by Doctor Death Steve Williams. Unfortunately, though, at this point Funk is tied up in the corner, and so it's essentially three on one once again. And even the Doctor of Death is not strong enough to take on the Extreme Horsemen three on one. So the music hits, enter Sandman, of course, because MLW at this time cares not for licensing music and whatnot, uh, and he takes his sweet, sweet time coming to the ring. Um, if his intention was to save people, he did a piss-poor job of it. Let's just be frank here. Uh, but also, to be frank, no one really cares to see the Sandman do heroic things. They just wanted to see, just wanted to see him drink beer and kick ass. And Lord only knows, Sandman can't kick ass without a 20-minute introduction. Uh, so Sandman makes his way slowly to the ring, drinking beer with the crowd. But when he does, he is a ball of 151 met with the flame and takes out the Extreme Horseman single-handedly, starting with Simon Diamond, who gets shoved after getting a face full of beer, uh, and, and everyone else gets the shit kicked out of him as well, uh, just for good measure. Uh, so we will see where this goes, hopefully, maybe, some here, uh, you know. But the important thing is Sandman's here, and so we're all drunk by proximity. Speaking of Dr. Death, who was previously attacked by the Extreme Horsemen, we get footage outside of the arena where Dr. Death is attacked again by the Extreme Horsemen, but this time it's just two-on-one with uh, Simon Diamond and C.W. Anderson beating him down around the parking lot-esque area behind the building. Uh, they beat him up by the dumpster, beat him up by the trunk of his car, eventually leaving him in a pile of dirt and cut we go from there to CM Punk meeting Simply Luscious backstage. Uh, she talk, He talks to her about you know, how she's disappointed in Raven and how Raven's kind of lost the spark that he once had. Um, but that spark can be filled by the power of Straight Edge. And Punk is by all means willing to teach you know, Raven and, let's well, let's face it, anybody else who dares to listen about his straight-edge lifestyle, making him better than us. We cut back to the control center, where Joey Styles notes that, that Simply Luscious has had history with someone in the locker room, and by the way she's interfered, or at least interjected herself, in the CM Punk-Raven feud, uh, it's probably one of them. Though, Styles implies a siege, some sort of trollop, and it probably has history with both of them because it's 2000 and it's Joey Styles. Up next, we get a review of the MLW Top 10. Uh, Mike Awesome is still the number one contender despite winning and losing the MLW World Heavyweight Championship within the last rankings period. Uh, he is, though, tied with Terry Funk, uh, who has a pinfall victory over the new champion at Hybrid Hell in the barbed wire uh, matchup. 
So there, and from there, they also tease that Satoshi Kojima is now ranked uh, number three, uh, but he has not been seen nor heard from since his loss. So whether he's gone into exile, is healing his body, nobody knows because he's incommunicado. Styles also puts over a fan poll whether Terry Funk deserves a world title shot against Steve Carino. Uh, they give us a number, and, you know, unfortunately this is 20 years ago, so we can't vote in it. It's been over, but I assume Funk won because that's how fan polls tend to work. And last but not least, we, he puts over Homicide, noting that, you know, Homicide's a young lion, dangerous a street fighter, if you will, but he doesn't need to talk about it. Let's go to Homicide. So we go to Homicide. Uh, Homicide re references that he was in Rikers 10 years ago, and he loves MLW. It reminds him of his Rikers. It makes him feel big and dangerous, and he wants everyone to beware the notorious 187. From there, we get a Mike Awesome promo. He acknowledges that he has lost the MLW world title, only holding it for a brief amount of time, but it took three men to beat him for that title. So he feels, you know, mostly rage because they stole the title from him. But he's going to make it two for Taboo and challenges Steve Carino to a knockout match where the only way you can win is by knocking out your opponent. And he vows to put Steve Carino through a table on the arena floor. We're back to Joey Styles, and he makes note that Terry Funk has an argument to be in the world heavyweight title hunt due to his victory over Steve Carino, though granted this match was before Steve Carino was the heavyweight champion, but, you know, the fact that you can pin a champion at some point, you know, may, gives you an argument that you should have the world heavyweight championship, at least an opportunity for said belt. So what I've gotten from this segment is that I am going to go pin some, you know, some amateurs, maybe just some children who are thinking about getting into wrestling, just in case they go on to world to win the world title sometime. Uh, that way, I get I can argue that I get first dibs, and then of course you know be mauled because I'll be extra old at that time, rather than just mildly old and out of shape like I am now. Anywho, let's go see a promo from Steve Carino. Uh, he notes that Terry Funk is going to have to wait because, you know, Funk hasn't really done anything to earn the title shot. And, you know, what's waiting a little bit more time? Because Funk's waited waited six years to even, you know, people uh, to be in the conversation about winning a world title. Uh, so he gets to wait for the time being because Mike Awesome gets the first title shot. Steve Carino respects Mike Awesome and his ability, his ability in the ring, in addition to his willingness to defend his title anytime and anywhere, but notes that he is a lot smarter than Awesome, which is why Carino has the belt now and Awesome does not. Um, but after Steve Carino beats Mike Awesome at Taboo, he will have a contract signing for Terry Funk, if Terry Funk can remember to, how to spell his name to put his name on the dotted line. We come back to Joey Styles, uh, noting how Carino weaseled his way into getting a title shot, sweet-talking both Satoshi Kojima and Mike Awesome prior to their matchup, uh, which Awesome eventually won, and then using the phrasing that Awesome used, uh, that he'd just defend the belt anytime Carino wanted a shot uh, to get the shot and the title right after uh, beating Satoshi Kojima for the title. Anywho, 
It is time for our main event. It is Laparka versus Sabu 3, the rubber match. Uh, so L.A. Park, or the current L.A. Park, former Laparka, makes his way out. And what is this? A wild, sinister minister appears. Uh, Laparka takes off the mask, and we realize it is Mikey Whipwreck. His hair still dyed red, but he's gotten a cut a wee bit shorter. And so... The minister and Mikey just kind of show up and get in the ring and laugh. And I think they imply that we're all fools. Uh, but I couldn't quite le- read the lips all the time. And not that I'm great at lip reading anyway. Uh, Sabu comes out. He's a bit confused, but he doesn't seem to care because he's Sabu. And he just wants to botch some dives. And so, Mikey, you're going to get botch dive tonight, baby. So they will has fight. Um, and actually start out quasi-scientifically in their match once the bell rings. Uh, they trade single-leg takedowns, uh, the occasional wrestling hold, before Sabu just says, F it, and starts throwing potatoes in Mikey's face. Um, my, uh, Mikey does counter with some actual wrestling, uh, initially taking Sabu down with a Fujiwara armbar, when we keep hearing a whistle in the background that eventually really distracts Mikey, and, and Jerry Styles even makes references like, at a whistle? Who brings a whistle? When a wild Bill Alfonso appears. Bill Alfonso is back in the corner of Sabu after being injured previously uh, by La Parca. Uh, Fonzie screams something about being in the hospital, but he's back, baby. Mind you, they didn't give him a mic, so it's just, just him shrieking in everyone's general direction, as Bill Alfonso is wont to do. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Sabu takes Mikey outside and then does Sabu things, such as dive, repeatedly, uh, but actually it's just once. But he does manage a triple jump dive uh, over the guardrail into Mikey. We get an awkward jump cut to see uh, Mikey doing a jump onto Sabu outside the ring as well. Uh, eventually, after a little bit of brawling and some uh, teasing of some chair shots... Sabu puts Mikey through a table uh, thanks to a chair-assisted jumping leg lariat. Um, so it would be if my poor description of that would probably be closer to uh, the Hardy Boys poetry in motion. Just repa- replace Matt with a chair and Jeff with Sabu. And it would kind of work out something like that. Oh, you should probably also place Mikey Whipwreck on a table that's leaning into the corner as well. But I, I'm just going to give you the benefit of the doubt and assume you already knew that part of it. Anyway, after uh, a touch more of a beating, Sabu locks Mikey into the camel clutch, but doesn't really get it cinched in until a chair gets involved, because why not? Uh, But thanks to that, uh, the chair, that's where we're going to draw the line in terms of my pain threshold, and Mikey taps out, giving Sabu the win. Um, Again, uh, the editing made this match rather quick, um, and we really don't get much of a story uh, involving Mikey, uh, just that, like, here's Mikey and the Sinister Minister. Surprise! Um, Don't know why they're here. We don't get any follow-up, at least today, uh, as to why they're back, or at least why they're here and back on, we'll call it, I guess, national television, even though MLW wasn't necessarily broadcast nationally at this time. Um, but So there's, like, no follow-up on that, though Minister and Bill Alfonso kind of get into a verbal spat 
uh, in the ring after the match is over. But Sabu puts a quick end to that, uh, showing up with a spike. Um, but before we get a chance to see any potential blood or bleeding ministers, Jerry Lynn and Christopher Daniels attacks Sabu, uh, leaving him laying to close out the show. So that is our show this week, MLW Underground 13. Uh, we've got two hastily put together matches, Billy Pfizer's and Christopher Daniels, uh, and then Sabu versus Mikey Whipwreck after a swerve bro. Um, Again, both matches were fairly solid. You know, it's cool. Uh, this edit was kind of wonky. Um, but, you know, uh, still, like, showed enough to make them solid matches. Um, but I do, I feel like this is kind of indicative to a lot of the pro. This show is a good indicator of, like, a lot of the things that kind of annoy me uh, with the underground footage. And again, like, I don't know enough to put things together and know uh, to, to see the old shows and whether this is a direct how it appeared on television back in the day or if this is a re-editing uh, for the modern audiences to also throw in, you know, some extra adverts for MLW and MLW merchandise. Um, but there's a lot of just constant references to things that we never ultimately get to see. Uh, they really put over Paul London versus Jerry Lynn, and we never actually saw that match on television. Uh, they've put over the Raven-CM Punk feud, and uh, Raven's been here since the beginning, and we've yet to actually see him wrestle. They reference that he's appear he's wrestled at the shows, but they have not. But those shows have not made television um, as of this point. Um, and so just things just seem to keep on going forever and ever. Like the uh, Samo uh, the Samoans and Los Maximos, their feud seems to have gone on like entirely too long uh, just because there's no real follow-up outside of, you know, Joey Styles referencing everything, uh, which is good up into a point. But, you know, we, we need some closure, man. We need some conclusions to some of these things or, or at least something to forward the story a little bit instead of just keep telling us that this happened. Um, and this show is kind of just a good example of of that, uh, especially uh, with the way the two matches were edited to be quite short as well. Um, that is to say, like, the show flowed very well, ultimately speaking. Uh, the matches were solid, if not spectacular. Um, and so it's not truly a bad show. It's just, like, for me, there's some of the stuff, like, coming to a head, uh, just me getting kind of annoyed with things going nowhere. Um, but at least with like the CM Punk stuff, we're starting to kind of see some development, especially with the addition of Simply Luscious to the mix. Um, but like the Samoans and Los Maximos are just spinning their wheels. Uh, not sure where that's going or what that even means ultimately in the big picture. But anyway, I'll shut up about that. Uh, that was MLW Underground 13. Of course, you know, feel free to disagree with me. I will hit up the interwebs, tell me why I'm wrong. Or you can tell me why I'm right too, but why would you want to do a silly thing like that? Um, and then we'll just wrap up the show. Of course, thank you all for listening. Uh, stay tuned for my plugs and all that sort of good stuff. Um, and I will see you all next week. Hey, all Thanks for sticking it out until the end. This is the part where I go over my cheap plugs. 
So if you like this show and you want to see it succeed, the best way to support is to like, listen, and subscribe, and tell your friends, tell your family, and tell your enemies. You can also find us on Facebook at MLW Confusion. No hyphens, unlike the actual show title. And if you're more interested in my random reverence that don't have anything to do with MLW or its programs, you can check out my social media pages uh, at Twitter and Instagram at the Nova of Cass. Of course, you can also support monetarily by going to patreon.com slash Casanova. And it's spelled wrong, of course. It's C-A-S-S-O-N-O-V-A. Whereas for as little as $1 per month, you get access to the podcast two days early and ad-free, plus other assorted weekly goodies. And of course, better rewards come from higher pledges. So be like Maverick45, Alan Schroeder, and Froggy's Wow, and lend your support. And of course, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that there are advertising opportunities available to you. Just slide into my DMs for details. Thanks everyone, and I'll see you all next week.